Hello and welcome to another episode of The Blend Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Ruff, and this week we're taking a look at the fast-growing EV market and what it takes for a garage to successfully tap into it. To do that, we've called in on the expertise of none other than Matt Cleveley of Cleveley Electric Vehicles in Cheltenham. And I'm pleased to say that he'll be joining us later in this episode and at The Blend itself, which takes place in Birmingham on the 7th of October. Before that though, what's your long-term business plan? What do you want to be doing in 5, 10, 20 years time? How much thought have you put into what happens when you want to move your business on? It's something that Tim Benson of Oldfields Garage in Lempster has put a lot of thought into and I'm pleased to say that he joins us here today on The Blend Podcast to give us some insight into why planning your business exit is so important. Tim, welcome to The Blend Podcast. How are you? Yeah, very good. Thanks, Mike. And thanks for inviting me to uh, be part of it. No, not at all. We've been looking forward to having you on. Before we get started on exit plans, though, you're obviously very well known within the garage community. But perhaps we could take the opportunity to find out a little more about your garage. Could you give us a brief overview of your current setup and how it came to be what it is today? We run uh, Ultra's Garage Services in Lampster, which is in Herefordshire. Um, sort of a, a, a medium-ish size garage. Um, we've got 10 employees. Um, Mum and Dad started it back in 1991 and uh, I joined the business uh, about 13, 14 years ago. Um, effectively, our journey was that uh, we reached a point in our old site where I either had to decide to get involved or not really and that was the, that was the decision that I took and, uh, and we moved to our current site, as I say, 13 years ago and uh, have not looked back since really. What was that deciding factor in the end? Well, it's... I've always been around cars. Um, I went into, I went away and did other things. Um, so I went to, to uni sort of a little bit later. I started my career in parts at a main dealer, um, went back to college and uni and uh, and then went off and do, did a few other bits and bobs, you know, cosmetic surgery, IT and so on. And when I sort of moved back to the area, I, I you know my friends and family were here, which was the main um, draw at that time. But as I started being more involved in the business, I think the potential for improvements and the potential for developing the business was what sort of hooked me in, really. And how has the business developed under your leadership? Yeah, so I think because, because I don't come from a technician background, I, I, I look at everything from a, um, a customer point of view. Um, I did a business degree, so obviously I look at the business in its entirety. And I think, you know, my view was that... Um, there was an opportunity really for us to develop into a much more customer focused business um, I think you know our our business our core customer base was getting older and that was going to pose us a problem the new site gave us a chance to reinvent ourselves if you like and you know put in a nice customer reception um, you know have a nice clean tidy workshop have everything sort of open plan and visible and and customers could see and, and that's really where I've sort of got got more involved. So let's move on to the topic that you'll be covering at the blend in October. Could you introduce us to your presentation? So I'm going to be talking about what steps we've taken to enable us to exit mum and dad from the business, still benefiting from it long term. Um, it's largely ignored and in I would say you know the majority of cases in the garage industry people don't think about it at the beginning which you know if you study any form of business um, planning or business modules 
your exit is almost the first thing you should think about, but it, but it isn't what happens within the trade. For whatever reason, within the independent garage sector, it almost seems a bit strange to talk about your exit plan. Is that, is that fair? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, if, if I'm honest, you know, we, you know, when I think about, um, you know, my own exit plan, um, the, the, issue, the issue with an exit plan that's definitive is that you don't take in the, the sort of the positional, um, you know, the, sorry, the position that you're in and what are the options at that point. I mean, I'm, you know, we're a second generation family business. Um, I would absolutely love it if one of my children would come into the business, you know, moving forwards. Now, obviously, my youngest is five. I can't plan for that at this stage. So effectively what I've got to look at is what are my options and how, how do we do it? And I'm I'm going to share a little bit about what we did to enable mum and dad to exit and the things that I'm thinking about for the future that give me the options to, to look at where, where I go sort of long term. It seems like it's no simple thing to plan an exit. You've, you've just mentioned, Tim, about your youngest son at five years old, far too early to tell if he'd be interested in coming into the business. So how do you tackle that? How do you weigh up your options? Well, I think, you know, obviously you've got to concentrate on the profitability because that, that is the number one thing from an exit point of view is making sure that the business is profitable. Um, if, if you're trying to sell the business, the more profit you make, the more valuable it is. If you're trying to continue the business, you know, within the family, the more you've got behind you, the easier that transition is, and you can continue to generate, you know, revenue from the business if, if it's structured correctly. Um, and I think, you know, my own personal exit plan is not formulated in in its, you know, black and white version, if you like. I'm thinking of, of 10 years time, where, where do we go in 10 years time? What do we do? And my personal sort of exit plan of, of our business is not black and white at this stage. Um, however, I've got multiple options that I'll share, you know, at, at, the, at the presentation that I'm looking at. And, and what that means is that if I can plan a little bit towards each of those options, then depending on what happens at which stage, you can, you can move in that direction quicker because you're ready for it. Why is that exit plan so crucial for business? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, if you don't if you don't know what you're going to do at the end, you can't build towards it, and, and it's it's really as simple as that. There's nothing revolutionary in uh, in that statement, but if you've if you've got um, options or you're thinking right, well, actually, what I want to do is to sell the business. Well, you can't just decide in thirty years' time, right? I'm going to sell the business. Now what do I do? What you need to do is you need to think, right, I need to sell the business. So what can I do to structure my business, to organise my business, to align my business, to make that step into, uh, you know, the next next bit of where you go, really. What is the timescale we should be looking at for future planning? You're, you're looking at 10 year plan, but I imagine it depends on what stage of your life you're at. No, absolutely. And, and everyone's going to have a different idea about what they'd like to do. Um, you know, typically... 10 or 15 years is is a good time frame for preparing your business for exit but you know if you're if you're talking about that at, at 20 years old I, I very much doubt that people would be uh, be planning an exit they'd be planning growth during that stage because uh, obviously you've got energy and, and all the rest of it at that uh, at that age but 10 years for me would take me to 53 um, 
it would also take it to my youngest being 15. And I think at that point you would have, you know, a, a really good idea as to whether they're going to move in this direction or not. Um, and, you know, and again, the thing with a plan is that it doesn't mean that a plan is rigid. The plan can change. Um, but you've got to take these, you know, you've got to, got to take these steps and, and move forward in the direction to enable you to be at that point where you can. What are the options when it comes to exit plans? And I'm talking about independent garages in general. Are the possible plans as simple as either passing the business on to someone in your family or selling it to someone else? Is it as simple as that? No, I, I think there's 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 a lot more options than than uh, just doing that. I mean, it's the it's the traditional way that you uh, that you do plan plan your exit. But I still think that you can run a very successful garage business without you having to be involved and, and systems you know like Garage Hive enable me to not be here all the time so I know it can work and it's just putting things into place that you know so potentially it might be that I keep hold of the business and it keeps running and you just keep monitoring it through the systems you use. Um, you know that that is you know you you've sort of more or less exited the business but it's still it's still ongoing. So I, I don't think those are the only two options but um, you know, it'd be interesting to 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 you know discuss my my path that I've been through and and what what's happened historically uh, and and where I see in the future. So, how big a part does Garage Hive play in your plans, and how different might your plans look without Garage Hive? It, it, Garage Hive has been been massive for us. Um, it's I think having having the level of detail that you can summarise how you're doing. Um, that's that's a big factor you know at any given time you can get a snapshot this is what we're doing now but the ability to then delve into the details so if something isn't working as you need to do um going into that you know that that, that micro detail of, of of what's happening and when it's happening um but being able to do it not here is is such a big you know such a big thing so i i know that i don't have to be here every single day to know how the business is doing you know i know what my customers are thinking i know what we've sold i know how profitable we've been i know which jobs are not working for us which jobs are working for us because it's all there you know that that data set is so uh, so powerful and it given me the flexibility to step out of, of being here all the time that's really great to hear and I know that the majority of those listening are already using Garage Hive so that will no doubt come as some reassurance for those that are perhaps yet to think about their own exit plan. Tim will be finding out much more about your exit plan and we'll be able to tap into your knowledge at the blend in October but for now many thanks for joining us on the podcast. No that's brilliant thanks very much Mike and uh, you know as I say I'm really looking forward to it and uh I tried to pick something that was a bit different to other people um, and it's something that you know is, is an exciting topic um, especially if you're at the at the stage where you know you've got 10 15 years left of your business that you know it's, it's it's important to think about it thanks Tim we'll see you there cheers Mike the blend podcast inspiring success from within the community join us at the blend on the 7th of October at the East side rooms in Birmingham. 
Now, when it comes to long term business planning, you're almost certainly going to have a decision to make about electric vehicles. There's no doubt that the niche is now well on its way to becoming the norm, so much so that battery electric vehicles actually overtook diesel to become the UK's second most popular powertrain after petrol in 2022. The total market share of electrified vehicles, so that includes mild hybrids, hybrids, plug in hybrids and battery electric vehicles, was at 52.6% by the end of 2022. With that in mind, let's welcome on Matt Cleveley of Cheltenham-based Cleveley Electric Vehicles. Matt, how are you? How's business? I'm good, thank you. Very busy, but good. Um, I keep getting told that being busy is the right problem to have. Um, but I'm good. Thank you very much for asking me to come along. Not at all. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're spinning lots of plates at the moment and doing an excellent job at not only championing the opportunities that EVs bring with them, but also tackling the challenges and raising awareness and, and finding solutions. There's not many conversations had about electric vehicles without the mention of Cleveland EV. But perhaps you could provide some context as to what you've built with that brand. Yeah, sure. No problem. So, um, yeah, apprentice straight into the trade from school, did a three year apprenticeship with another independent family business down in Dorset where I lived at the time and fell out with my boss just after I'd qualified and joined the family family business that existed in Cheltenham um, in 1999. That's how old I am, um, where I was freshly 19 and worked in it with my dad and my uncle and my auntie for the next 20, well, nearly 20 years, quite happily. Um, always staying on top of the modern changes in the trade. So when I was first an apprentice, I was doing points and plugs and ignition timing and dwell angles and carburetor strip downs and all those things. And I progressed throughout my career wanting to learn and understand the newest of technology. So fuel injection, code reading, diagnostics, things like that. Did loads of courses, invested in kit. Um, and then I did a, a master tech ATA with the IMI. Um, and it gave me a thirst just to keep learning and keep understanding. And when EV came into the world, I wanted to know, is this the next the area of our trade? Is this the next big thing that I'm going to need to learn? This was six years ago. Um, my dad was retiring off, so I, I did my EV training uh, with Promoto at Basingstoke sort of area, and, and Elliot there was fantastic, and we stayed in touch. But I wanted to, I wanted to know more, so I bought a car, and the whole buying experience was awful. So um, the main dealers just hated, seemed to hate everything about EV. I went back a number of times and nobody could sell me a car. And I realised then, once I'd driven the car, it was a brilliant driving experience. I'm a real petrol head, but they were faster, they were smoother, they were easier to drive, they are easy to own, they were cheap to run, or they are cheap to run. Um, and I wanted to promote that and, and become an EV adoption type location. Um, so we created Cleve EV at that point to to run alongside and um, and started inviting people along. Uh, we expanded motors, so that's the traditional side of the business that I was in with the rest of my family, um, to have its own MOT bay and work in, in newer environment. And uh, EV sat alongside doing car sales and education, and we started repairing from there. So it's just been an absolute monster of a beast that's come along in the last five years, six, five, six years or so. Um, and we've grown to seeing now 35% of our daily input of cars through the workshop is pure EV and, and created a parts department and various other things along the way to, well, it's just organically, organically grown to 
what the EV ownership and our customer base wanted out of their workshop. So I've learned a lot in the last five years. What a journey and a rapid one at that. Fully embracing the EV opportunity that you identified five or six years ago has clearly paid dividends. But is there anything that you would do differently if you were to start that journey again? Um, I think I might have probably researched things a bit more. Um, maybe tried to keep it a bit quieter and learnt a little bit more. But I don't think we'd be in the position we'd be in if I had. Um, there are lots of garages that come to me and say, uh, I've done my EV training. We say that we do EVs, um, but we're not seeing any come through the door. Uh, the, I suppose the, 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 the way we've become successful, the reason we've become successful is that we've gone out to the owners of the cars and, and stuck our head above the parapet, if you like, and gone, right, bring it to us, we'll work it out. Sometimes that has been the very hard way. Sometimes that's involved a lot of backwards engineering um, and a lot of R&D time that we've just had to write off and, and learn from, but it's ultimately proved successful. So um, no, there's, there's nothing I would change, even those really stressful nights when you're still trying to put someone's te expensive Tesla back together with them sat on site waiting they all have a value and have added a value and a kick up the backside when you've needed it to, to find another way of doing it because the way you're doing it isn't working. And, and that's what I often say to, to garages that approach me is um, if, if the way that isn't working, the way you're trying to do it now isn't working for you, you've got to find another way of getting those cars in. Otherwise you've wasted your investment with the, uh, the training. Uh, you've got to go out, go out and find it. So EV training is really just the starting point. It sounds like you need to jump right in and actually start working on these cars to really understand them and make a profit from them. Massively, massively, massively. So, um, yeah, the training was the start of it for me. But in order to understand the cars that I hope to be working on, um, well, initially I, I bought my own Nissan Leaf and that was the sort of painful experience that kicked it all off in the pinch point. And I had that car apart and I've, I've tested various things and I've looked at it and I've learned from how the battery degrades and, uh, and how you can recover some of that degradation, how you can look after the battery. There's a real depth of knowledge in that. So if you're a, a garage wanting to know more, own your own cars. Uh, we've got a couple of EV courtesy cars that the customers love to, to run around in as well. So if you're customer base uh, doesn't know that you do electric vehicles or that you're qualified in it or you're looking into it then adopt an EV courtesy car um, run it around yourselves and learn from it get it your customers into it they'll understand what it's all about as well then but yeah it really is a start and uh, it's quite nerve-wracking at first it's we all know the dangers that are involved in working on high voltage um, so if you don't see those cars regularly enough and you're not au fait with how to shut them down or uh, what shutting down means and where the voltage could be afterwards then if you're doing one job a month or even less frequent than that you're not going to have the confidence to to ball in and be, a, be able to do a successful repair that ultimately earns you money which is what we're all in business to do. Going back to that starting point then what should garages be looking for when it comes to EV training? So I think the IMI qualifications, as good as they are, they're good, and that was a great starting point for me. It's it's a basic overview, and you get to the only hands-on bit that you get to do 
um, is to take the battery out of a Prius or to shut a Prius down or to measure the Prius at an inverter. It's always on a Prius. Um, we haven't done that much work on a Prius and I know it is the most practical car to deliver these courses where if you can physically lift the battery in and out as a one person job and things like that. But it's not all about that. So what we're looking to develop here at, at Cleveland is to have a deeper dive type course that involves actual hands-on high voltage repairs of things that you will see come through your workshop because we've seen them here. Um, that type of course is what will a technician will learn from. Uh, the qualification should be viewed as just that. It is a qualification. It's giving you the foundations of knowledge, but actual hands-on repairs, uh, deeper dives, more in-depth courses are the kind of thing that's really going to gain you the confidence you need in order to be able to carry out those repairs that come into your, your workshop day to day. So often it seems that electric vehicle courses are about the safety aspects of working on EVs, which is of course hugely important. But as a business, you also need to actually diagnose and you need to be able to fix them too. Matt, we're very much looking forward to hearing you speak at the blend in October. Could you give us an introduction as to what we can expect to hear from you? We're at this tipping point where there's lots of garages either reluctantly looking towards EV as um, something that they'll need to do. Uh, I don't like the phrase, we do EVs or we're looking to do EVs. What does that mean? Ultimately, we're all in the, the trade and the business of looking after cars. So if looking after cars is what we do, then the fuel, the drivetrain needs to be kind of irrelevant um, or it's just part of it not to be viewed as anything too different a car is a car um, and a lot of what we do here day to day is working on the cars not working on the high voltage system of it so um, yeah the, the presentation is about our move into the market it's about what we've learned in the last five years it's about what we've had to develop um, the opportunities that have come to us and the changes in our in our building that we've had to put in in order to be able to work on EVs. Some of the pitfalls and the problems of of offering EV repair and maintenance. Uh, so it's just a our a, a brief overview of the last five years worth of work that we've done. And I, a lot of people think I'm mad, just sort of giving that IP away, really, because, but. Ultimately, I've been in this trade for 27 years. Um, I might be in it for another 10 or so, but really I want the whole trade to grow and develop and to grasp this opportunity that is electric vehicles now because there is a huge market and a potential that the independent aftermarket as a whole can be, can get in front of the um, franchise dealer network as the preferred repair option for electric vehicle ownership and there was a recent study that was done that um, proved that EV owners I think it was 60% of EV owners will sort out an EV knowledgeable and uh, reputable workshop in order to look after their car I mean that's huge that you could lose a lot of your customers because you don't market yourself as an EV knowledgeable and uh, educated business. So 
there'll be a huge and also with the change of the franchise dealership model where we're seeing certain brands sell direct to to customers and their own service uh, uh, franchises and uh, uh, maintenance options uh, are missing out on that just enhances the opportunity that there is for the independent aftermarket to be EV repairers and, and, and beat that franchise element. The argument against EVs that I hear time and time again is that there's not as much to go wrong on an EV. There's hardly anything to service when compared to an internal combustion engine, so there can't be as much profit in it. But you've clearly found a way to make it profitable. So, yeah, it is profitable, but it comes, becomes a volume game the more that you can get through um, because you're not doing oil changes. So your margins in parts have has disappeared. So you've got to be, I don't want to say you've got to be fast. You've got to be efficient. That's the best way of putting it, uh, what you do and how you do it. That's how the, the parts department came about. Um, we're not having to wait for components to come in. We've got a stock of components that we know we'll be needing. Uh, so that sort of grew organically in the business, not to for any other reason uh, other than to service our own servicing workshop. Um, but they are still cars. They're heavy cars as well. So a large proportion of the work we're doing, we're selling far higher volumes of tyres than we ever did before. I think there's a stat that's come out that 20% of EVs fail their first MOT on tyres because the owners don't check them and they they often wear down to cords or they wear far more quickly than the owners expect them to. So tyres is a big part of a business, um, as is steering suspension components, ball joints and things. These cars are heavy. They wear ball joints like they're going out of fashion, which is great for us. It's just part fitting. And then you get your margin back on parts. But um, where we're winning currently, and I will say currently, but because of our niche, we're getting cars from all over the country and uh, we're seeing some random things and we're able to charge some very good money for diagnostics for garage uh, that garages other garages aren't prepared to take on so um, there is a certain amount of diagnostic work complicated diagnostic work as well where you can win um, and main dealers are getting it wrong as well we're getting cars brought into us for second opinions after main dealers and finding silly faults um, where the, the main dealer may quote eight to ten thousand pounds for a repair on one instance it was a, a jag eye pace and we found a broken wire i mean essentially you can charge what you want for that broken wire it's not about the time it's taken to find it it's about the knowledge to get to that point so if you can justify it you can charge it and you can still save cu for customers thousands of pounds and this is where it gets really really interesting i heard of a case recently whereby a customer had a mitsubishi outlander i think it was and a dealer had diagnosed a problem with the high voltage battery and quoted a bill of thousands of pounds for a complete replacement. Looking for alternatives, the customer actually managed to find an independent that had the skill and expertise that actually managed to track down the fault to a circuit board within the battery pack. And then they took it another step further. So they then identified the tiny electrical component within that circuit board that was actually the cause of the fault and literally saved that customer thousands of pounds. A big part of what we do is about finding, uh, carrying out a repair to a modular level. And you quite rightly point out that it's, it's an electronic level most of the time. 
that there is a, a capacitor or a chip failure internal of a circuit board somewhere that's either got a dry soldier joint, dry soldier joint, or has has failed, and you can replace just an electronic component. Now, that's not something that we ever expected to have to do in our trade, but I suppose it's just an evolution. It's part of our trade, so. Was yeah, speaking to companies like ACtronics and ECU testing, they they're very aware that they're going to have to step up their game and they're going to have to create test rigs, in order to be able to work on these um, these latest technologies. You were astute enough to spot the EV opportunity five six years ago. Are there any other market trends that you foresee that garage owners should keep a watchful eye on? Um, it's going to be a lot of electrification of vehicles, whether that's in combination with uh, a combustion engine, however that's fueled. Um, there's a lot of talk of hydrogen combustion and things like that. So yeah, always looking into that. I don't think that involves quite a change in business model uh, that the move to EV has for us, uh, but it's important to understand what that technology means for in-house. But it, even hydro, hydrogen combustion, will come along with a battery pack or some kind of electrification to it. So the foundations of understanding high voltage, I think, are in our trade to stay now. Um, And I've spoken to local colleges that understand that electrification in cars and high voltage training is an important part to have in an apprenticeship. And a lot of colleges offer high voltage training too. So from from that side of things, yeah, that's one thing. Tires are changing a lot because of the the huge market that tires has become with electrification as well. Um, other than that, I don't see anything too bad on the horizon. Whether we should be looking at flying cars just yet, I'm not so convinced. But certainly within our our generation, electrification is the biggest change that's going to be coming through, and uh, I sort of hope everyone embraces it to to the level that we have really and anyone listening that may be considering going down that electric vehicle road should absolutely get tickets to the blend and come along in october to listen to matt's presentation we're hugely looking forward to being at the blend this year um i've had to book the next day or so off after the blend because that team know how to drink and how to party so it's gonna be a long few days but thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, yeah, anyone who wants to chat to me, as long as I'm still making sense, are very welcome to talk to me. Um, but it's going to be a great weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks, Matt. Pleasure chatting as always. We'll see you at The Blend. Thanks, Mike. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Blend podcast and a special thanks to Tim Benson and Matt Cleveley, both of whom will be at The Blend in October. So make sure you save the date, 7th of October, and book your tickets on The Blend website. We've got plenty more fantastic guests lined up for the rest of the podcast series, so be sure to subscribe to The Blend podcast in your usual podcast player. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks.